The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to another episode of Earth's Finest Comic Book Podcast. It is Super Skull Show, and I am your host, Rachel Polk Rockatansky. I am filling in for cool Nick Wybar, who is God knows where, doing something. I am joined with my always frisky commentator, Lumberman Schwimmer. My axe is ready for chopping. That sounds really gross. Is that what a lumberman would say? I feel like that's what a lumberman would say. Yeah, sure. My axe is ready for chopping. I'll climb that, that pole. <laughs> that other sultry voice that you hear is my companion, Mad Dog Sullivan. My axe is not ready for chopping, but my... It will, it will be, baby. Tree oh, God, is ready gross. for chopping. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Sorry. Yeah, gross. Marcus. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm doing great. I, uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm doing just dandy. I had a wonderful... So you know, they say you can't have breakfast for dinner. That's, Who says that? The, the Puritans. They should be killed. That's why they came to America. Mm. <laughs> they were like, oh, no more breakfast for dinner. My own rules. Well, we had, getting ready for the podcast, we had, we had lunch at an at a Irish pub, and I did have breakfast for dinner, and it was delicious. Blood yeah, sausage. You, you inhaled that lunch. It's, if it has blood sausage, I'm pretty much down to party. <laughs> it sounds about right it's for like, you. And you tried my blood sausage. I did. First time? First time ever with the sausage of blood. And how'd you, how'd you like it? I enjoyed it. <laughs> Here's the thing about well, me. Good. If you want to put some tube meat in front of me, yeah. I'll eat it. Tubed meat. Hey, how is Crazy Dogs doing? That, is that me? I'm Crazy yeah, Dogs? Yeah, how is Crazy... <laughs> well, how are you, Curtis, doing? I'm doing wonderful. That's good. And how is your new business because you're quitting Vault of Midnight forever and you're just going to make hot dogs for mm. the rest of your life? How is that? You're saying my pop-up concept... Hot dog restaurant, yeah. crazy dogs. Yeah, that you're going to throw all of your life savings to and then never see anything and then just die in a hole. It's oh. it's doing wonderful. I'm <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for the vote of confidence. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm working on a uh, Polish dog. Ooh. It's a sauerkraut-filled hot dog. Is it like is it an especially long hot dog so you can call it a pole dog? Ooh. That's Wait. not bad. Maybe it's a foot long. Ooh. I like where we're going with this. Is the sauerkraut in the casing, inside the casing or outside? It's Well, it's inside the burger meat with the dog. But maybe it's a Polish sausage. With, but I, I just like the idea of the sauerkraut inside the tube. Maybe we do. Oh because then it's not messy. My pro- I eat a lot of sauerkraut. You do. And so the problem is when you when you close the lid of the hot dog container when you have sauerkraut on top of yes. the condiments, mm-hmm. all the sauerkraut peels off it the tends top to, you're right. and sticks to the top of your container. If you were to put that sauerkraut inside the casing, mm. I wouldn't have that problem. There what you go. if you made, so you know how you can get like the, the paper kind of like holders for the hot dogs? Okay. What if you made one that was edible paper and you could put it on top? It's like rice paper. Yeah. Like that cool Japanese candy yeah. where you eat the paper. Maybe I'll quit the comic shop and just like join you on this escapade. Um, Sounds welcome good. Welcome to Super Skull. It yeah. is, it's another episode. Somehow. We're still here. Uh, Nick's gone forever. And we're super sad about that, uh, but we'll, we'll somehow <laughs> soldier on. Um, things happened this week. Luke Cage happened this week. Oh, yeah, Most it did. importantly. Did you guys watch it? 
I'm on episode six, personally. I, I, I just finished episode six. Lovely. Oh, wow, yeah. you guys are neck and neck. We're in sync. Always. I love that. Well, I, I'm in love with the show. Yeah. I will say, I think it's a dynamite triumph of a TV show. And I love Luke Cage. I love the actor who's Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. I love the music on the show. Oh, my goodness. The music is It's wonderful. so great. Adrian Young and uh, Ali Shaheed Muhammad doing the music mm-hmm. uh, with all kinds of other musicians that they've curated and picked. But God dang, it's good. It did break Netflix for a couple hours on Friday. <laughs> so many people uh, trying to stream the show that it shut Netflix down for two or three hours. That's crazy. So, so that's instead rad. of, well, for us, it, it was three in the morning when it aired, right? Correct. Because it yes. was midnight California time. Right, yeah, but right. it didn't. It didn't shut it down right away. It was like people heard the hype, and then got on it, and then it crashed Netflix. It was well, awesome. just imagine being that poor sucker who like stays up until three so they can watch the first episode, and bam, Netflix is just off. It was awesome. That's upsetting. Bummer. Nice work though. Nice work, Marvel. Ni- yeah. Nice work, Killer. Netflix. Great show. It is uh, visually the most impressive Netflix show to date mm-hmm. i'm so about it so it's modern see you know so not to keep droning on about luke cage but so originally the comic you know comes out in 1972 so it's a 70s style comic book that's where it gets a lot of its its oomph but they modernized it because you know that's what they do with stuff but they still have a lot of winks and nods to the source material and i think it threads the line super there, good there is an episode and i don't want to give any spoilers away yeah you better not i'm so on the I first won't. one there is an episode though where mr cage in a way, dons his historically superfly headgear. Oh, yeah. And when he does it, I, I felt shivers go up my spine. It's a triumphant and moment. into my heart. Mm-hmm. And it was just the coolest fucking thing I've seen. in Marvel movie, Marvel TV show, doesn't matter. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Do I get my Love money it. now for saying that it's going to be better than Daredevil? I, think, I don't know. I think it's on the track to be better than Daredevil, but um, it's got, I'm, not, I'm not quite done with it. It's got Misty Knight in it. Oh, it's got no Foggy. It's got no Foggy. I love Foggy, though. <laughs> oh, I can't help God. it. You're, I'm in love with Foggy. Oh. Um, I, I love this show. Watch Luke Cage. That's yeah, my review. Absolutely. Boom. What else we got in the news? Marcus, anything fun? Curtis, do you like Hellboy? I love Hellboy. Do you enjoy an evening by the fireplace sipping a glass of your favorite bottle of vino? If I'm buck naked on my bearskin rug, I do. Oh, no, I just imagine you in like a very tiny velvet robe. Oh. Yeah. I have great news for you. Oh, good. Um, Finally, some good news. Stoller Family Estates uh, has announced a limited edition of Hellboy Pinot Noir. Unexpected, but fine. Now, if I may quote their website, I love this. This is such beautiful, shitty marketing. Um, (laughs) This is a Pinot Noir cultivated and crafted with the same passion and intensity that Mike Mignola has brought to the creation of Hellboy for over two decades. The perfect wine to pair with the next issue of the iconic Hellboy. Oh, my God. Now, Curtis, I know what you're thinking. Can I get a case? Can how can I can we go box? Do they do boxes? They don't do boxes. Ah. It comes in a bottle. Okay, it's classy. Mm-hmm. Fifty dollars a bottle. Wow. Fifty bucks. Only available in the United States. Fifty bucks a bottle. Well. You could do something really cool with that. You could like. Uh, do you remember how like last year DC released a bunch of Batman figures all done by different artists? Yes. They were like Batman black and white. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, Mike Mignola did one, and no matter what angle you looked at it, it looked like it was a two dimensional figure. That's and true. It was like all in his classic design. If they did something like that with the bottle, that would be awesome. So the the bottle does have some Hellboy art on it, but it's just some pretty standard 
oh. cut and dry. Okay. Hellboy. Are, I just think it's great that Hellboy has his own wine. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm always drinking Pinot Noir when I read Hellboy. How and I know? can finally yeah. drink Hellboy branded Pinot Noir. Oh, right. Yes. I, I was it. always getting the off brand. It was like the Costco brand. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was like Hell Dude I can is do what it, it was right. called. Hell, Hell dude. dude. Hell Dude. It'll do in a pinch. Yeah. Also, Good enough. Also, there's there's some sad news this week. Oh yeah. Um, so local Detroiter and uh, comic book legend Gary Reed, founder of Caliber Comics, passed away unexpectedly last week at the age of sixty, which is quite the bummer. Yeah. Um, he was a force to be reckoned with in the local southeastern Michigan comic community and in the United States through his. Uh, publishing house, uh, Caliber Comics. Uh, Reed was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, opened his first shop in southeastern Michigan while he was a uh, student at EMU, Eastern Michigan University, that is. And by the time he had graduated from there with his master's degree, he opened uh, and operated four comic How book How crazy shops is that? In, in the area. Going to college, running four comic book yeah. stores? That seems very, very intense. Did you um, ever go to any? I've never been to one of his comic book stores. Mm-hmm. I've met him many, many times yeah. over the years, but uh, mm-hmm. never went into one of his shops. And when we say Reed was like a, a big influence, um, you know, in the 80s, uh, he realized that there was a void in the area for a comic convention since Detroit Triple Fanfare had closed in 1977. So he launched King Kong Comics and Fantasy Convention. King Kong. Kong, thank you, uh, in 1984. And it was the first kind of regular comic convention in the area since the late 70s. And the dude was just an absolute force. His uh, publishing branch, Caliber Comics, launched the careers of uh, creative talent like Brian Michael Bendis, Guy Davis, Ed Brubaker, and Mike Carey. Oh, just think about those four names right there. Yeah, it's really That is gigantic. Where would we be without those, just those four writers in comics, modern comics right now? And uh, Caliber shut down in uh, 2000. But throughout the 90s, they'd released over 1,300 comics and 70 graphic novels. He was also the vice president of McFarland Toys when it launched in 1993. Dude has been a, a force in the local comic scene yeah. for over 30 years, and he will be greatly missed. He was a professor at um, Washtenaw Community College um, up until his passing. Yeah, I uh, met a, one of his students today at the, the comic book store, mm-hmm. and they came in to buy some of his Dead World comics. Which is his zombie comic that he's been doing for, I mean, forever since, you know, pre Walking Dead. I mean, um, and Gary was pretty low key. He didn't, people, he didn't tell everybody what he did or who yeah. he was. He was a bio teacher, I believe. So, yeah, and uh, this kid had no idea who his teacher was. And, like, he, you know, he read about his passing mm-hmm. and found out that secretly his professor was this amazing comics legend and came into the comic shop to check out some of his stuff. Yeah, it was pretty dang cool. Caliber is really interesting. It uh, it wasn't about superheroes. They had a couple superhero lines. They they revived a lot of kind of like classic medieval fairy tales. And uh, if you go through any back issue section of, of a notable comic shop, you're sure to find a couple Caliber comics in there. And I mm. encourage you to do such. Nice work, dude. We'll miss you. Yeah. Thanks for all the cool comics and cool things. King Con. That's a great name for a convention. Great name for a convention. It's been kind of a rough year for comic creators. Darwin Cook. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yep. A lot, a lot of folks. Well. You shall be missed. Yeah, it was really upsetting to hear about his passing. Um, but good news. It's a new comic day. There are new comics. There are new comics to read and we have them in our hands and we can share them with you, the listener. Um, and so we have the big picks and I'm going to spare the metaphor because I'm horrible at them. Um, 
Marcus. Yes. Would you like to talk about your big pick? I would love to. So sometimes when you are a teenager, you look you at teenagers. You look at the establishment. You're right? saying like grown ups. Grown ups. Okay. The system. The system. And you're like, look, system. I'm 16 years old and I know everything. I'm indestructible. I, I get it. I get it. And, and you I, don't. You don't. You definitely don't get it. You definitely <laughs> don't get it. You haven't been where I've been, grown ups. God, oh Curtis God. knows. And uh, sometimes you take that energy, you take that youthful energy, mm -hmm. and you form a new comic super, super team. Super team. And this week, Marvel's put out number one champions. Because the world still needs heroes. Yeah. So if you've been following Marvel Comics at all, you know that we're going through Civil War right now. Civil War Two. Civil War Two. Oh, we've already done this once. Let's do it again. <laughs> and some of the younger, fresher superheroes have decided they're done with this war. No, they've got it figured out. Who? who and are they're you not going to take it no more. Uh, so the big leader of this is Kamala Khan, aka Miss mm -hmm. Marvel. So let's back it up for one second. Yeah, of course. So there was a book called All New, All Different Avengers. Right. And this was some of the old Avengers, your classic Avengers, your your Sam Wilson, Captain America, your Thors, your older... Vision. Visions. And on this All New, All Different Avengers, we had some of the youngsters on the team. We had Nova. Yep. Mm -hmm. We had Miles Morales, a.k.a. Spider-Man. We had Ms. Marvel and... They left the Avengers. They, yeah, the, throughout this story, the one by one, two by two, they've cut all the younger crew has kind of said, we're done. They peeled off. We're not about this for different reasons. This isn't our jam anymore. We don't like, the big one is, is like, I don't like punching my friends. And that's kind of what Civil War is all about. It's like, we disagree on something and the only way we can solve this is to punch one another in the face. Wait, do you, do you not do that? I mean, I do, but Kamala's a better person yeah, okay, than I ever Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm not alone. Yeah. All right. So they get together, and, uh, specifically Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Nova, and they're like, hey, here's the thing. Maybe we don't need the Avengers to uh -huh. do good things because we're 16, and we know what the world is like. And we know and, what it needs. And we know what it needs, and it's mm -hmm. us. Yeah. It's us. And so they create a superhero group called... Champions. Yeah. And it is the dopest shit. It's so good. <laughs> Written by Mr. Mark Wade. Um, the art. Humberto Ramos. Thank you so much, Curtis. Oh, that was lovely. You're it, welcome. Thank you. You know what? The, the whole Civil War II thing, it's kind of falling a little flat for me, mm -hmm. um, which is surprising because Brian Michael Bendis, the writer of it, is like my my big dude. He's my yeah. top dog. You love him so I do, much. But I just, I thought... You know, the Secret Wars, the recycled plot kind of works. Civil War II, recycled plot, maybe not so much. But uh, the, these these young folk, these champions are regurgitating my thoughts on maybe why it's not so cool. And we get some uh, kind of unlikely support characters for the story. So, well, so this is like what? This is the, the put the team together issue. Yeah, that's exactly what it so is. So you got Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. She's like, she reaches out to Nova and Spider-Man and says, hey, let's... What are you guys doing? Let's have a rooftop meeting. She's kind of team leader. Yeah, and then they decide, hey, let's get some more folks. Yeah. Like... Amadeus Cho, a.k.a. Totally Awesome Hulk. <laughs> and then we go over to the suburbs, to the Visions family home. And what is her name? And we pick Viv. up Vivian. Viv, mm -hmm. yeah. Or Viv. And yeah. I love how, like... Cho is just a total player about it. He rings on the doorbell, Vision answers the door, and he's like, hey, 
I'm here to see your daughter. Yeah, Cho- chose the man. He's, pretty, he's got great like, hair, too. Yo, what up, girl? And yeah. um, I'm a big fan of DC's uh, long-run Teen Titans. I'm reading it for a very, very long time since mm-hmm. the you know I got hooked on that Marvel run. And this this has the the blueprint to kind of be Marvel's Teen Titans. Interesting. And Teen Titans is a great series that's had a lot of really wonderful runs. So I'm kind of, I'm seeing the seeds of a Teen Titans like book in this Champions book and hey, I'm loving it. Curtis. Yes. Imagine if we made a drinking game that was every time Marcus mentioned how much he loved a book about teenagers, we had to take a shot. No, we couldn't do that. We'd all have alcohol <laughs> We'd poisoning. We'd all die. It's fine though. I love what it's I love. It's fine. It's a very very good book. And yep. How how young would you hand that to? Like so, there is one of the plot points in this has to do with human trafficking. Uh, but like they make the point of saying like, "Holy crap, this is all horrible." They this do is, like but really really bad. I don't know. I'm a prude. I would probably say twelve and up. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to be at least twelve to understand what is human. What makes yeah. human trafficking bad? Yeah. So. In my in my heart, I want to give this to any kid because you know that is an intense moment in the book. Yeah. And what I think is otherwise, this book is just about what it means to be a hero. Yeah. And uh, being ideological uh, can be kind of cool when it's mixed with like the optimism of youth and the fire of of possibility. Yeah. I really dug this book, and the last like couple of pages was really getting me in the feels. It was awesome. It was it was dynamite. It was so good. All I have to say is I really hope we get a team costume set. Oh. You know what I mean? Matching oh costumes God. in some way via the X Men has like a giant C for champion on it. I don't know. I think the possibilities are endless. That could be so cool. Mark, I... w- Mark Wade, I know you're listening, so run with it. <laughs> Just imagine uh, both the Hulk and Nova dressing in the same outfit. It'd be sweet. It could be great. So yeah, that's my pick. It's a uh, number one from Marvel Comics this week. Champions, number one. Uh, if you like superheroes. You yeah. should probably read Absolutely. this book. It's a, it's a real great superhero book. Did you read anything else? I certainly did. Uh, I have to say Jessica Jones came out by Brian Michael Bendis. Mm. New Jessica Jones run. Um, I'm, I'm like As I mentioned in the opening, I'm deep into Luke Cage right now. Jessica Jones and him have a long history together. And so I checked this out. It's uh, I think Brian Michael Bendis really shines in these kind of little grittier books. Yeah. Um, and maybe Homeboy should take his energies putting into Civil War Two and write more stuff like Jessica Jones because it turned out just great. It was a really wonderful book. Mm. It's got some very nice twists from your kind of classic Jessica Jones book, and if you liked his book Alias, which really introduced Jessica Jones to everyone, you should absolutely pick up this new series. Um, it deals with some pretty dark, deep stuff, and that's what uh, BMB does just so well. Uh, yeah, he's, this dude's written so many comics; it's like you can't count that high. Yeah, but oh. I would, I would definitely put Alias uh, on my list of Very my short cool. list of top five all-time yeah. Brian Michael Bendis books. So excited to read that one! Yeah, and awesome. That's, that's what I got. Nice, sweet. Curtis. Uh huh. It's your turn. It's me. Yeah, throw books at me. What's to, up? To pick a big one. What you got? My big pick is, uh, I'll just do this one quick because we've talked about, I think every issue of this series was a big pick of somebody's. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Headlopper or A Plague of Beasts graphic novel. This collects the four-issue Headlopper series. Uh, Four issues, you say. That's probably a tiny graphic novel. Wrong. It's huge. It's fat. Because each issue was like 60 pages. So this is a whale of a graphic novel. And uh, it is out now. And please, please check it. What just, is no more to be said. Just just go do it. 
this cover will blow you away. As soon as you see the cover, you'll buy it. I probably don't need to tell you anything else. Uh, this book is by uh, Andrew McLean and uh, Mike Spicer. Does some colors and some art assists. Uh, this is a book that kind of looks like a Mike Mignola, but colored. Yeah, that style. It's in that zone. It's got a little that. Mike Oming, so it's cartoony. It's I can very also expressive. See some, yeah. I can also see some Mike Allred in there. Definitely see a little Mike Allred. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very unique, though. Uh, the Headlopper is a story of Norgal, and he is a, a sellsword. He sells his sword for money, and he is known for removing the heads from the shoulders of literally everything. Pick something. A demon, a yeah. giant, Lops a warrior, them. a skeleton, a zombie. He's going to cut your head off. Um he cuts off the head of a witch at some point, Agatha, mm-hmm. but she's a mighty powerful witch and she refuses to die. She's a blue witch. She's a blue witch and she is a talker. Chatty Cappy. She will not shut her gam. Her <laughs> yam? Her yap. What are gams? Gams are your legs. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, She doesn't have legs anymore. <laughs> she has no legs. Uh, she ain't got no legs. But Norgal can't leave her because she's so powerful. She, she can't fall into the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. So he has to carry this loud-talking witch's head around the whole comic. She's cracking off some, some banger one-liners. She's extremely irritating and funny. And uh, this is an adventure about uh, him essentially selling his sword and killing some beasts. And then he gets embroiled in sort of this larger... He's hired by somebody, but then it's like a conspiracy. So he, he gets pulled into this big kind of political power struggle thing in a kingdom, which he doesn't give a shit about. He just wants to chop off heads and get money <laughs> and uh, and rep his city yeah. like most people. So I love that it's every story you've ever read before. I've read that same story a thousand times over, but this one's actually good. That's the thing. This is when you think about when you want to tell somebody to don't do that story. You know, if Andrew McLean was like, hey, I'm going to do this story and it's, um, here's my elevator pitch. And you'd be like, no, nah, don't do that. It's already Dude, been done. Dude, the Legend of Zelda. It's yeah. been done one million times before. This guy brings something to the table. There's just so many weird little vibes. Like the creatures are almost like video game bosses, you know, but they're, they're different. The magic is stuff you know, but stuff you don't know. I, I just love it. When he goes to different places, visually, the style changes to give you this you know, sense that you're in a different place, in a weird place, in a haunted swamp or something. Uh, I freaking loved it. This is one of the best graphic novels of the year as this was coming out in single issues. I think I think we did gush about every single issue on this podcast. Probably. Um, this is absolutely worth your time. Uh, give it a looky-loo. You won't be able to miss it. You go into a comic shop and you see this on the shelf, you will grab it. Uh, Andrew McLean also did a book called Apocalyptic Girl from Dark Horse which I thought was fantastic. It's about a uh, an apocalypse wanderer with a cat named, uh, what's the cat's name? Oh, Biscuits? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, Jelly Beans, sorry. You should know that. Don't you I have a cat that. named Jelly Bean? Just Jelly Bean, one Jelly Bean. <laughs> one singular Jelly Bean. Exactly. So my huge pick is Head Lopper, Volume 1. I hope it's Volume 1. It doesn't say Volume 1. Well, it does say Number 1 on the side. It's because it's going to be an ongoing series. Oh, that's right. They announced that. So we'll have more of this. But yeah, Headlopper, the first volume. It's a fatty. It's worth your time. You're going to be like, oh, I've read that Barbarian comic before. No, you haven't. I sure as hell haven't. So that's my big pick. Marcus? Yeah. What do you got about head lopping? What so are you doing over there? Here's, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get more comfortable in this You're chair. You're brooding. Um, right, here's the thing about Headlopper. Right? Uh-huh. I have read many a medieval adventure story. 
you in have. my day. Yeah. Yes, I would call myself a connoisseur of medieval adventure stories. Yeah, that sounds about right. I spent many years of the early AOL scouring the internet for any kind of adventure story. Never a lot. Um, but I will say this about Headlopper. Um, Headlopper has all of those great elements of the classic adventure story, but it's like if you put it in a cocktail mixer with uh, one part adventure story, one part heavy metal magazine, <laughs> one part Swedish rock and roll album. Ooh, tell me more. Shake and serve on ice. It's not a bad call. That is headlock with a with a, with a Zelda garnish, little little Triforce garnish on top. Yes, it's like it's like the plastic sword that you can put the martini olives on. Yep, yep that's what it is. I recommend nice. you drink three beers of your choosing while enjoying. It should be mead or mead or mead, and uh, and then enjoy a headlopper for twenty dollars, which is the cost of this book. It's a hell of a deal for the experience you're mm-hmm. about to have. But yeah, I think you need approximately three cold ones to really just. Get into this book. The heavy metal magazine influence is is unmistakable for those of us who who dig heavy metal. No, I didn't really think about it because it's heavy metal magazine. But there is a just a kind oh, of a yeah. rock and roll veneer to the whole yeah, thing, if absolutely. that makes sense. You know, little soundtrack going as Headlopper <laughs> chopping off all those heads. It's so. a lot of heads get chopped. Man, yeah, it's got a really good uh, like Legend of Zelda feel to it, and like like a D and D adventure. In some ways, like every time he but goes into a cave and fights a boss, it's really kind of the shittiest D and D adventure. Yeah, because you're alone. He's totally alone. That's right. Yeah. He has no friends. He wants no friends. He, yeah. He gives no shits if the adventure succeeds or fails or if millions die in his wake. All that dude cares about is lopping heads, and that's where I, I think the, the rock and shit. roll, uh, heavy metal influence really shines. It's not. D&D. D&D is about saving the town. It's about working together. <laughs> Not to, when I play. <laughs> well, you're evil. But, you know, working together to like, evil. Yeah, save, save the town. Headlopper doesn't care about that. Mm. He doesn't care about the town. Give me, my, give me my money. Give me my money and let me produce you some blood. He seems like he does have honor, though. I well, don't think he would, I don't think he would, you know, slaughter wholesale, which no. is nice. Wholesale. No, you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta pay him. That's like, right. He could easily earn a living working in meat and, like, being a butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Boing. Hey, well, um, anyway. my big pick is Headlopper, and uh, you should check it. Really quickly, give me something else super great that came out this week. Cage number one came out. I will mm-hmm. say uh, that it has Luke Cage in it, and it's by Gendy Tar- Tartakovsky. So if you can't get enough Cage, if you've already binge-watched the show and you need more, there is more. Yeah, this is by the guy who, who did Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. Doing a cage comic. Oh, that totally makes sense. It is so cool. Uh, I also really like Shade the Changing Girl, the second book from mm-hmm. the uh, young animal thing that's happening over at DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was quite good. And I dug a book called Moonshine, number one. This is Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo. They did 100 Bullets together. This is um, Chicago mobsters come to the hills to get this good shine. And maybe. There's some werewolves. That's fucking awesome. It was super nice. It was Prohibition era mob comic, all up in the in the deep country hills with werewolves. Curtis, pretty dope comic. Do you remember when uh, Doom Patrol came out? We were talking about My Chemical Romance. Yeah. Because of Gerard Way's connection. Oh yeah. I just wanted to let you know that uh, that night I went home and listened to a full 
My Chemical Romance album. Oh, yeah, of course you oh, did. It brought me back to early high school. It was so good. I recommend you do it. I, oh, I'm man. gonna do it. I, I swear. You, I wish you would read Shade the Changing Girl while listening to My Chemical. Okay, Romance. you'll love it. I will. You'll. I think they have a greatest hits album. So. I accept your sweet Jesus. Your challenge. Can, me Can I talk about mine? Hey, Rachel, what's your big pick, Please? homie? Thank you. Finally, my big pick this week is called Demon by Jason Shiga. Uh, who I find to be one of the most incredible creators ever. He has a real talent for creating mazes, which is, oh. yeah, he did some magazine work in which he, like, designed mazes. It was pretty cool. Um, one of the books that really got me into him was this book that he did called Meanwhile, which is an all-ages interactive uh, kind of choose-your-own-adventure comic. Um, so... Uh, you follow this little dude and you like decide where he goes next and you follow these tubes and they bring you to different pages and oh. it tells the story. It's super cool. Um, so this book, Demon, is, uh, was his webcomic. Um, and after he finished the first story arc, it got collected and is the volume that we have today. Um, this book is very cartoon looking and absolutely not in all ages. It's named demon so maybe that's an indicator. Well, so it, it's it's about this guy named Jimmy. Mm. This guy Jimmy hates his life. His For life some is terrible. Unknown reason. Well, no, they explain it. They explain why. Well, they get, they take yeah. a minute though, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But like, it just starts out with him just like very peacefully writing a letter, a letter, very very calmly, and then he like stops. He thinks about it. He writes a little bit more, and then he hangs himself. And, like, he, like, several panels later, he's still, like, you can only see his feet, and they're, like, flies collecting. And then he wakes up and is alive again, and he has, like, a weird mark on his neck. Clearly, he tried to hang himself before, and then he, like, goes back and is just, like, what what has happened? Why am I here? And <laughs> one of my favorite things is, like, he goes into the bathroom, and he looks, and he's like, huh, the, the rope left a weird mark around my neck. I've been I've been given a second chance. Fuck. <laughs> um, and he just and he just goes and tries to kill him, his, himself again. And he goes into the bathroom and he like slits his wrists and he dies. And he wakes up again and is alive. And he's just like, why can't I die? And like the whole first half of this book is just him trying to kill himself. It's super morbid, but it's really funny and it actually develops into an extremely interesting and intricate story arc. The lead character to me looks like Ernie from Bert and Ernie. <laughs> oh, that um, just made it even more sad. In a way, yeah. So that I really liked how it looked versus the content of yeah. the story. I thought it was very disarming in its yes, uh, it is a cartoonish look, but then with its serious narrative. Yeah, I, well, I mean, if if this had been in any other style, you would not want to read it. But because it's very, um, I mean, it's not as it's more simplistic than Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, I think it becomes, opinion. because of the art style, it's, it's dark humor as opposed yeah. to, like, horror. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, he um, he continues to try to kill himself, and at the beginning of chapter two, he wakes up in a hospital, and the nurse is just like, oh, you're so lucky that you survived. And it's just like, I didn't want to die. Like, I don't want to be here. I wanted to die. I don't want to be alive. Um, and then it like goes into this giant adventure of like discovering who he is and what's going on, and um, it 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 ends up with him in jail and like trying to find the creative ways to kill himself in there. 
The story itself, once you get past the first half of the graphic novel, is wild. Yeah, I only made it halfway, and you could tell that there was a big, there was a switch coming. Yeah, there, there is something huge that happens in the second half of this book. Um, it is a webcomic, so the second one hopefully will be collected next year, but um, not really sure. It's a really, really well done book um, that um, will make you laugh and make you really, really uncomfortable. Cool. I like his time. his sock puppet mouth. Yeah. I'll just keep talking it's about very, his Ernie mouth. It's very sock puppet. I yes. like it a lot. Marcus, are you uncomfortable? I'm not. I don't think it's a book I would particularly enjoy, but <laughs> that being said. Right. There's no teenagers in it, so. Yeah. I mean, oh. I, I don't know. You were just like, you're like, oh, you should read this. It's so funny. And it's like him slitting his wrist in a bathtub. So I'm not saying I didn't really give it a shot. I, I hope that one day, Marcus, you might give this a try. Um, oh, yeah, because I'll, I think the story will surprise you because it, it takes a twist and goes in a completely different way than you would ever think by by just reading the first chapter of this book. Yeah, and I, li- I like books like that that, that mm. can be difficult in a way, but there's a, there's a purpose, yeah. and it's yeah. to really flip, flip on you, and yeah. I like that. The other thing that I read this week, Marcus, I know you love. Oh, yes, uh, it was book. called Green Valley. It was an issue number one by Image, um, which is a very medieval story all about knights. And, you know, we know how Marcus feels about that. Um, and it, the dialogue is what struck me um, in this book. It was absolutely excellent. It was very witty. Um, so and is, I'm oh, sorry? Go ahead. It starts out with these two knights who are uh, about to go face a giant army that outnumbers them, like 400 to 1. There's a 1,000 of them, and there's only, you know, these two knights, and their two buddies are hanging out behind them. And they're just like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go talk and ask them politely to leave. Um, And they end up in a bunch of conflict, and then... uh, it's a very medieval story. It is, but it, it runs at a really nice pace. Mm-hmm. The coloring in the book is beautiful. It the is, book yes. aesthetically is just big, beautiful really vistas. Wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, I think what makes this book really interesting and really enjoyable to read is the connections between the characters. Um, they all have different kind of relationships with one another, and uh, throughout the conflict, you get to see how their relationship kind of uh, changes and, and mm-hmm. is strong and is weak. Um, has a very much a King Arthur feel, yes. kind of this idea of the Knights of the Round Table defending against evil. Um, very classic, but I'm a big fan of like Prince Valiant and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And this felt like a little bit more of a modern adaptation of that. And I thought, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I thought it was really enjoyable. It was very, very good. Yeah. If you, so, if you want a medieval feeling issue number one, uh, check out Green Valley from Image Comics. It was uh, written by Max Landis and um, drawn by Giuseppe Camincoli. Ooh, that's a oh, good that's question. Like Curtis, let's like uh, Curtis. Yeah. Camuncoli, yeah. Camuncoli. Yeah, Giuseppe. Yeah, that's, that's a great I, name. I, Max I Landis is actually the uh, son of um, John Landis, the film director. I did not know really? that. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So very cool. Very cool. Um, I have a surprise for you guys. Yeah, what's up? We are getting paid to talk now. What are you talking about? Are you we saying have, we got a sponsorship? I'm saying that we have a sponsorship, so if you guys will kindly shut up, we now have to listen to this commercial break. Is it lunchtime? Do you have that internal question? Hamburger or hot dog? Well, don't worry about it because we've combined both of them over at Crazy 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 Dogs where you can get the world-famous burger dog cooked up for you by our crazy chef, Crazy Curtis. 
That crazy dog right there will cost you nothing more than $1.99. Side effects may include erectile dysfunction, bleeding from the eyes, anal talking, and a deep love of sassafras. Well, well, gang, I'm sure hungry after that <laughs> fine commercial break. And how. <laughs> Man, I wonder who that guy was. No idea. You guys want to do a taser? I would love nothing right. more than to do a let's, taser with you. Let's do a taser. Our section today is all about Robin. Robins. Plural. Robins. Yeah. Um, there have been many Robins over the years, and it's kind of hard to keep them straight and mm. know who is who and who has what origin and, you know, who showed up when. It's a, it's a lot. <laughs> it's so when you, when you say Robin, you mean the sidekick to the Batman. To the Bat. Also, Got it. the State Bird of Michigan. Yes, the Robin. That's true. true I did yes. not know that. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I've lived in Michigan my whole life, and I had no idea. That's really funny. Um, so when you think of Robin, mm-hmm. the first person that comes to mind is usually probably Dick Grayson. Depends. It depends on when you grew up. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Tim, like Tim Drake for me was my rock. Growing up, there. I mean, Dick Grayson was always there because of Batman Adventures, the TV show. Sure. But growing up, Tim Drake was was the Robin at the time. I see. And he was everywhere. So. Don't get me wrong, I love Dick. But You do. But Tim Drake Great. was was definitely my Robin as a kid. Well, okay. So let okay, let's start with Dick Grayson. He was the first. He yes? was indeed. Okay. He was created uh by Bob Kane, okay. Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson, uh, way back in 1940. He first appears in Detective Comics number 38. This is way back in the day. Batman mm-hmm. appeared for the first time in Detective Comics number 27. So just yeah. 11 short issues later, we get Robin for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's sort of brought in to, uh, you know, be a character for the, the kids, a yeah. younger character that the younger kids could kind of think was, oh, man, so cool. Robin gets to hang out with Batman, mm-hmm. which if you were a kid, that would be pretty dang cool to hang out with Batman. Yeah. I mean, he's got the title The Boy Wonder. That's true. So... You know, you get to hang on the Batcave, go for a ride on the Batmobile, this kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, and Robin, since his in, in introduction, is always there. Going forward, there is always a Robin of some sorts, mm-hmm. uh, and, and many Robins uh, at times. So, uh, Dick Grayson is the youngest son in a family of acrobats known as the Flying Graysons, and they perform at Haley's Circus which is integral throughout the Batman storylines and mythos. Um, The Flying Graysons were uh, a huge act, and uh, this mobster dude named Tony Zuko was trying to extort money from the circus, and he he staged an accident. He, I think he greased up. He frays. He frays the rope. Yeah. And had the Graysons die in the middle of their act one night in a packed circus. That's wonderful for children. Super rough, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, it's wonderful for the children. <laughs> good, old, uh, good old time. But luckily for him, Bruce Wayne was at the show that night, and he saw uh, poor Mr. young Mr. Grayson and uh, adopted him and trained him as his young sidekick. The name Robin uh, was meant to evoke the, a connection between the medieval folk hero Robin Hood. I also did not know that. You know, I learn so much when we do these taser segments. <laughs> I thought I knew Robin. 
<laughs> well, surprise. But I had no idea. Well, if you think about it in the 1940s, you know, what's popular for young kids? Like, we're still in that age of folk hero. Sure. And so that connection between Robin and Robin Hood for the younger kids who are reading still comics that are retelling of classic tales. Absolutely. That's where the connection was. You probably got radio plays of Robin Hood. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense. Well, okay, so what was something that was really crucial about him as a character and his character in general? So not only was he the first Robin, uh, which then changes everything. Sidekicks are everywhere, and there's always a Robin. But he, uh, in the early 80s, uh, a new writer, Marv Wolfman, takes uh, Dick Grayson into the next kind of stage of, of his character progression, and he leaves the Batcave, and he strikes out on his own, and he forms a group with Raven and Cyborg called the Teen Titans. And this is a huge book. We've talked about it all the time. Marcus loves the Teen Titans because it's got the word teen in the title. <laughs> so, of course, he loves it. Shot. I'm just kidding. I also love the I'm Teen Titans. Love One of my book. favorite all-time comic books. Um, but he then changes his name uh, and becomes Nightwing. And he has this kick-ass... For some reason, he has like a disco outfit. It's my favorite superhero costume. <laughs> it's of one of the time. best. It's, got, it's like, the fucking just best. Just a deep V, huge v collar. When we say deep V, it's like past the sternum. Oh yeah, it's that's how deep almost that belly button. Yeah, it's almost disco. belly button. Yeah. It's awesome. Which you know, I didn't really think about it until just now, but it's like 1985 at this point. You know, disco is not really crack-a-lacking anymore. Mark Wolfman doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> George Perez loved disco. Is not dead. If you ask George Perez. Uh, so, yeah, he was instrumental in forming the Teen Titans, another comic kind of dynasty that's been around ever since. Um, he uh, also takes on the responsibility of training new Robins over the years. Um, he has a great relationship with the son of the Bat, Damian Wayne. And for a time, they're even uh, the dynamic duo with mm-hmm. uh, Dick Grayson taking the role of Batman when... Bruce is MIA and Damian Wayne becoming Robin. That's one of my favorite runs. I love that. So what much. are some of your other favorite runs? What else is he good in? Uh, I love him. Well, of course, the entire Teen Titans run, which yeah. is like 100 issues, uh, is the my all time favorite. Oh, the Marv Wolfman, okay. George Perez run. Mm-hmm. So Very cool. There you go. The first Robin, Dick Grayson. The first Robin, Dick Grayson. Uh, moving on to the second Robin, which is Jason Todd. Um, by 1982, Dick moved on pretty much just to Teen Titans titles, um, and that's pretty much all he was doing, and it quickly became apparent that Batman needed a sidekick to help him further his stories along. Um, so Jason Todd became the second person to take up the mantle of Robin. Um, he first appeared in Batman in 1983, um, and was created by Jerry Conaway and Don Newton, Jason Todd, when he first came about, was almost an exact clone of Dick Grayson. Kind of same storyline and everything. So this is before Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, His original origin story before all that happened was he was the son of two circus acrobats who were killed by Killer Croc, and Bruce Wayne adopts him, dyes his hair black, and then lets him run around in Dick's old Robin outfit until he's gifted his own. I love this. This just yeah, really speaks to the, the, the pathos of Bruce Wayne even more. Yeah, he just like, loves even circus dyes his kids. hair. Yeah, he just loves circus kids whose parents have been murdered. 
Here, wear the outfit of the other kid that I adopted. <laughs> yes, good stuff. You, who knows where he is? Just, you can have this. Yeah. Um, so then Crisis on Infinite Earths happens, and then they change his origin story. And it, th- his new origin story is probably the more well-known and probably the better-received oh, for sure. um, origin story. Um, in which instead of being an acrobat, um, Jason is a street orphan in Crime Alley. Um, his mom was a drug addict who died of an overdose, and his dad was a thug who worked for Two-Face and disappeared suspiciously after an assignment with Bad. Um, Bruce Wayne finds him trying to steal the tires off the Batmobile. I love that. Which is, so funny. Which is really stupid. Don't do that. I definitely remember that panel in the comic <laughs> when that happened. Absolutely. Well, it was featured on the cover of that issue. Was it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Bruce Wayne catches him trying to steal the tires, and then he puts him in a school for troubled youth, which turns out to be the secret headquarters of a band of thieves called Ma Gun School for Crime. Ma Gun is such a jerk face. Well, you know, when you have a school for crime. I'm saying, this is Gotham City. This is what you have. You have an orphanage for wayward wayward boys, which is actually, you know, a criminal's training ground for young thugs. Good stuff. Good stuff. Welcome to Gotham. (laughs) Welcome to Gotham. Um, So, yeah, he's he's put in the school, um, and... He ends up earning the title of Robin by helping Batman apprehend the gang, uh, Ma Gun's gang. Um, unlike Dick Grayson, Jason was super impulsive. He was extremely angry and emotional. Um, and it was so bad that eventually Batman suspended him from active duty, which brings us to one of the most important stories in the Batman timeline, which is a death in the family. Um so at this point, Jason gets so angry that Batman has suspended him that he goes back into Crime Alley. Crime Alley is the the very alley where Bruce Wayne lost his parents. Yeah, as and we all know, where where he was from, where Jason Todd was from. Um, and while he's there, he actually discovers that Catherine Ann Todd, the woman who was the drug addict and overdosed, is not actually his birth mother. Um, so Jason tracks down three women by using the Bat computer and finds out that um, Sheila Haywood in Ethiopia is his real mom. And she's an aid worker who was being blackmailed by the Joker. The Joker at the time was trying to sell nukes to Al-Qaeda. There was like a huge political thing going on in that book. I love it. Yeah, and then so Sheila herself, she was embezzling within the aid agency. There's so many layers here. There are so many layers. Oh my goodness. And to cover all the layers and to cover all the tracks, she gives Jason Todd to Joker, who double crosses them and ends up horribly torturing Jason and strapping him and his mother Sheila to a bomb. Wow. It, yeah. This story incorporates one of the most unique situations in comics. Um, and what you have to realize is at the time, people hated Jason Todd. Whether it's because they thought that he was unfit for the mantle of Robin or he was usurping Dick Grayson's position, he was pretty much universally hated. Um, yeah, you know, I was around at those, I can't remember. That there was no internet at that point, mm-hmm. so I don't remember the vitriol for Jason Word Todd. Yeah, I, I guess never so, felt right? that. I never had the hate for Jason Todd. Marcus, this was before you were really reading Batman. Yes, mostly. I mean, I go back and because I deal a lot with the back issues, yeah. and you flip through, and the writing for Jason Todd just never quite got there. It was like Batman would come out with this very Batman line, and then Jason Todd's line would always be like, well, I think that's stupid. And it Mm, just never really, they never got that like angry, angsty teenager quite right, and therefore he was incredibly unlikable. He just turned Mm. into a brat. Got it. Like, he was never written as actually angry. He was just bratty. Um, So 
um, everybody hated him, and it actually turned into be one of the most like weird and like unique things that comics have done. It was suggested that DC Comics open a public poll to decide whether or not Jason Todd died in the explosion of the bomb. So the telephone poll was open for 36 hours after the issue was released, and it ended up with 10,614 votes. An incredibly slim margin of 72 votes determined that Jason Todd died in Batman issue 428. 72 votes. Yeah. So despite everyone overwhelmingly hating him, it was razor thin. So actually in an interview like 10 years after that comic came out. Dennis um, O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about how like apparently there was a dude in California who rigged his computer. He somehow robo rigged it. yeah, Yeah. To call or every like minute or two minutes. And so- he says at the end of that interview, that guy, that guy alone killed Jason Todd. Wow. Yeah. Um, have you guys ever seen a poll in comics? So I dug around. I'd never heard of anything like this before or since. I can't think of a single thing. And I dug all over the internets and could mm-hmm. not see a thing. Yeah. It's super weird. Yeah. And they, you know, have to do these comics monthly. So it's like you got to hurry up and like, you know, it was a 36 hour poll. Quick. OK, yeah. they voted. All right. Shit. Yeah. Write the new comic book. Yeah, and it's crazy because even, like, Frank Miller, who is known for doing, like, dark and gritty stuff, he called it really ugly and cynical. Yeah, and for Frank Miller to crack that off is a... It's crazy. That's a scathing indictment. So later in the Batman series, Jason Todd comes back to life. It's hinted at um, him... It's hinted that he's alive in the book Hush, and then he is the main anti-hero slash villain in the book Under the Hood. So if you guys want some good Jason Todd books, you should absolutely read Death in the Family. Classic Batman, really. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Hush... Um, and Under the Hood, and you should read them in that order. Absolutely. Um, and Hush is cool because it plants the seed more yeah. than anything. Yeah. It's um, not about Jason Todd, but it's it like it will get you prepared for Under the Hood. And just a good Batman book all around. Very and Judd so. Winnick, I think, is the writer of Under the Hood. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very cool graphic novel. Yeah. Yep. So Jason Todd dies, and there is once again the void of Robin. And DC's getting together. They're like, hey, this one didn't work out so well. Yep. <laughs> try again. Maybe we should try again. And what they come up with is Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. Your number one Robin, Tim my, Drake. My number one Robin. All right. That doesn't surprise me. He's created by Marv Wolfman, someone who has handled Dick Grayson with care. The Wolfman doesn't play. He doesn't mess things up. He's no. also created characters like Blade, Nova, Jessica Drew is Spider-Woman, Raven, Starfire, Cyborg. So this dude has written great sidekicks who turn into heroes themselves. Teenagers. He is the architect at the time. The artist is uh, Pat Broderick, uh, and he is one of those dudes who had a little bit of a career in comics, but, uh, you know, he did a run of Micronauts, but wasn't overly successful, and is now in advertising. So there's that. Hmm. Um, But he first shows up in Batman Year 3 story arc, which is Batman number 436, and was the Robin from 1989 to 2009, a.k.a. Tim Drake, was the Robin for 20 years. Whoa. Which is, I didn't think it was that long myself. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, out of all of the Robins, I think it's pretty fair to say that Tim Drake is by far the smartest out of the bunch. That's so his thing. That's what he, he brings to the table. He is a brainiac. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. is how smart he is. So at that, that tragic day where Dick Grayson loses his parents... Tim Drake is in the audience watching the Flying Graysons. At the circus. Oh, my at goodness. The circus, and gets a photo with young Dick and the Graysons. Oh, yeah. I yeah. vaguely remember this. Okay, go ahead. So, but Drake, he's, and he's like, he's five at the time. 
mm-hmm. this this comes into his relationship with Dick Grayson later on. But Tim Drake sees Robin, aka Dick Grayson, and analyzes the acrobatic moves he saw Dick Grayson do when he was with the Flying Graysons deduces that Dick Grayson must be Robin and therefore Bruce Wayne must be Batman and decides that he is going to become the next Robin. So he takes it upon himself to like learn martial arts. He studies really hard in school because he wants to be the smartest, best Robin. And after all the shit that happens with Jason Todd, he sees the toll this takes on Batman. And he approaches Bruce and is like, hey, I know what your deal is. I'm going to be your Robin. This kid plays, he understands the long game. He totally you understands. You know what I mean? And, and Bruce is pretty uh, apprehensive at first because he's just gone through this thing with Jason Todd. But the difference between Jason Todd and Tim Drake is that Tim Drake has trained. He's gone through the training yeah. regimen and Bruce puts him through even more. Whereas Jason Todd was a little bit more ad hoc. Um, so what's so cool, Tim Drake um, just is... is the coolest dude. He is the ultimate detective. Maybe dare I say, he gives Bruce Wayne a run for his money Don't when it say comes that too to loud. The, when it comes to the detective game. Um, but Tim gives up the title of Robin and becomes Red Robin. Go solo. Go solo, and mm-hmm. would uh, much like his predecessor Dick Grayson uh, lead the Teen Titans. Um, if you want to read any good, if you want to get to know Tim Drake, uh, he had his own series, Robin Volume Two. Issues 1 through 183. Man, big, big Robin run. That's, that's for a lot. sure. And uh, this what they brought this series into existence because they knew that people were still really upset because of The Last Robin. Well, it, uh, you know, there was weirdly some backlash about uh, the whole Jason Todd thing. Right. That's you the know? thing is people yeah. are like, do we do a Robin? We don't know. Maybe we've messed it up too far. So they came out with this Robin series to show the development of Tim Drake throughout his history as being Robin. It was a way for them to show that they were moving the character forward in time. It was really ingenious. Also, I highly recommend you check out Teen Titans uh, Volume 1 from the New 52. And for those of us who are a fan of the 90s TV show, uh, Batman Gotham Adventures, Features. Oh Tim yeah, Drake that's right. As Robin, as they had aged uh, Dick Grayson into Night uh, Wing, Tim Drake is. If also, if you're reading the current Detective Comics run, he's a huge player in that. He's killer in that book. He is the best Robin. <laughs> Tim Drake is the smartest. He's a great team leader. He's a tech wizard. He is everything you want. In a member of the Bat family. Nice. And I, I, I fight for him to this day. I, 183 issues is no joke. He's a, he's a That's beast. a run. Yeah. That is awesome. That's really crazy. So. Well, the next one that we're going to get into is Stephanie Brown. Probably the least known Robin that has ever happened because she was there for a minute. Yeah, like a that week. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Maybe if that. Uh, she was created by Chuck Dixon and Tom Lyle. First appeared in Detective Comics number 647 in 1992. Um, Stephanie was the daughter of a third-rate villain called the Clue Master. Great name. The it's Clue Master good. is such a dipshit. <laughs> um, but, man, she's got a rough story. In, yeah. in, in a few modern comics, uh, Clue Master comes back in a big way. Yeah, she she had a rough childhood. And for most of her childhood, Clue Master was in prison 
Um, and she finds out that he lied about being rehabilitated and being able to return to the city, and but he had, in fact, been returning to crime. So she makes herself a costume and calls herself the Spoiler. Boo. That's a terrible name. Bad name. Uh, bad, bad Shame name. on you. Yes. She's um, young. She didn't know any better. Yeah. So she... Yeah, so she dons this costume and she works with Tim Drake and Batman to hunt down the Clue Master. She develops a crush on Drake, and after a little while, they actually begin to date, which is really adorable. How could she not have a crush on okay, Tim Drake? Okay, but here's the thing. Tim Drake, at the time, when he meets her, is dating somebody. What? He leaves that girl. I think her name was Ariana mm. or something. Uh, and he leaves her. The best part of this whole thing, though, is that they're dating, but they have to be in costume because yes. neither one of them can know one another. They're superheroes s- dating. Yeah, they're superhero dating. It's so cute. Oh, their real life selves are not dating. No. Because Got they it. can't because they only okay. know each other while wearing the mask. Yeah, they can't know their real identities. It's the best shit it's, ever. Yeah, well, except that she was, like, super petty and jealous, but, mm. you know, um, actually, so during a fight with Warlock, Stephanie breaks her leg, and Tim gets so possessive and angry that he beats the ever-loving shit out of Warlock, and he actually kills him. And that forces him into retirement. <laughs> Marcus pr- shrugs. <laughs> gotta protect your boo. Oh, I'm yeah. that serious, man. So uh, Stephanie convinces Batman to let her take up the mantle of Robin because Tim is taking leave. Um, she, however, unlike uh, Tim, has not trained pretty much at all. It's just all self-taught stuff, so she's really unskilled she's not good and she's uh, she quickly is dismissed by batman and um in an effort to prove herself she steals batman's plans for dealing with the entirety of gotham's criminal world um and she royally fucks it up classic and causes a giant gang war in which she is captured and killed by black mask wow it's fucking crazy Man, so yeah she that was is there bananas. for a minute yeah dude you steal the plans to take on the entirety of Gotham's criminal underworld. Yeah, and wow. then you just you just fuck it up. Yep. So really, the only thing that she's in is called Batman War Games, which does encompass that story arc with the gang war. Um, it's, it's a good book. It's it's cool. good. It's just, just she did not last very long. <laughs> there you go. Um, but she did make way for probably the second most famous Robin. I don't know who wants to argue that. Uh, I'm gonna say he's the best Robin. You're so wrong. I can't the wait to argue The true heir to the throne, Ugh. or should I say, to the cave. Uh, we're talking about Damian Wayne, and let's get into it. He is actually the son of the Bat. Who's his mom? His mom is Talia Al Ghul. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the daughter of Ra's Al Ghul, sometimes uh, referred to as Raish Al Ghul. It's actually per- the correct way per- to pronounce it is. So now I've heard it said by DC luminaries both ways. Mm-hmm. At a round table at Comic-Con, I've heard Raish, I've, he- I've heard Raz. So I say the jury's out. Mm-hmm. Listener, if you know, please yeah. send us a please recording us. of you telling us <laughs> how, it, how it goes. Or, you know, just a tweet. That's fine. <laughs> so uh, what happens is Batman is, I guess, essentially seduced. She roofies him, right, Talia? Yeah. It depends on the story. It goes both ways. Okay. Uh, so Bruce doesn't know that he has a son, and 12 years later, Talia decides that Damien needs to be with his father, and she shows up and delivers Damien to the Batcave. Well, and the reason she decides this, Damien has been growing up with the guiding hand of his grandfather, Ra's al Ghul, yes. and the League of Assassins. Ra's al Ghul. 
And uh, that's not the best way to grow up as a kid. <laughs> that's kind of screwed up. messed up. Yeah, you. I mean, he from an early age learns that there is one answer to your problems. Oh, I will slit your throat. And that is killing. Yes. And this puts him and Bruce in a tango of uh, conflicting morality. So this is why this character is one of my absolute favorite Bat Family characters, because the story arc of this character is super intense. So when Damien shows up on Bruce's doorstep, he's a pretty unlikable character. He's a cocky little prick. He thinks he's the heir to the throne. He knows everything. He's the best fighter. He's got it all sorted out, knows exactly how it's playing out, when clearly he's a 12-year-old mm-hmm. snot-nosed punk who literally has only seen the league's way. And the whole storyline from there is Bruce and him connecting, Bruce guiding him and and changing him into a true hero. And uh, I am just so into it because at this point in the comic, we really have reached, Damien has changed as a character. He has grown as a character. I disagree. No, he totally has. If you read the most recent run of Teen Titans, which just started. Just one issue so far. One issue so far. He's a huge dick still. Look. And he continues. His whole story arc is that he's a dick. It's not that when you read between the lines, the idea is, is that he is like a prince. He considers himself smarter and more highly skilled than almost anyone he ever comes into contact with. But the second he gains the respect or respects a character, like he does right uh, you know, at the end when he's there with uh, Dick Grayson, like him and Dick Grayson do not get along at all. No, Grant and Morrison then, has a really wonderful run called Batman and Robin. Correct. Um, that everyone should read. It's one of the great b- run. best books ever. But throughout that entire series... Damien is such a dick. Oh, but by the end, oh, oh you just love Damien. And him and him and Dick become great friends. And I, they, love, they, I think it's more of a big brother, little brother relationship. Yeah. With Dick Grayson with Damien more than any of the other Robins. Yes. Really feels a sense of responsibility for Damien. Mostly because Damien can't wipe his own ass by himself. But, man, well. it is, it is... I think Damien is a very unique Robin. I think Damien's a fascinating character. I'm very excited to see how him and Jonathan Kent, son of Superman, are going to play with one another, play into one another in the new Teen Titans run. But I will be damned if I don't sometimes hate this character. That's why that's why he's so compelling. Because because you wanna hate him, but then you do love him. And I think we're only we've only begun the journey of Damian Wayne. Years from now, Damian Wayne's going to be the baddest bat mother trucker you, in the whole world. Do you think he is destined to be the bat? He's the only one who can take the mantle I of think, Bruce Wayne. I think if, if if Damian becomes the bat and Dick Grayson does not, it is a, it is a disservice. It's, to it's the not going to happen. No, because Dick Grayson has moved on and he is now his own man. But Dick Grayson has to wear the, the, the cowl. S- the son of the bat is Damian Wayne. Oh, my God. And you guys. He, will, he will take the throne. I love listening to you guys argue. And Damian Wayne may be a dick. But he's no Dick Grayson. Oh! <laughs> um, moving on, Marquis, you want to take us into our last Robin? Yeah, and I'll, we've been we've been babbling here for a little while, but I just we we, we would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about Carrie Kelly. Uh, Carrie Kelly comes from Frank Miller's uh, Batman series. If you don't know anything about Frank Miller, he's most noted for writing the series Ronin, Daredevil, Sin City, and Three Hundred. So this is from the seminal this is, yeah. series, the seminal Batman series. The Dark Knight Returns, yes. the comic that uh, a lot of people will credit as changing the face of comics. 
Yeah, and uh, Frank Miller has a, a deep love for this character. He was actually recently at the Batman v Superman movie premiere and was asked by a reporter, what's the one character of yours you wish would make the transition into cinema? Oh. And uh, he's quoted by saying, uh, Carrie Kelly would be the big one. I love my little Joker robots and a lot of other characters like his goofy sidekicks, but Carrie Kelly is the one that broke my heart. So cool. really interesting that he, and maybe we'll see her. I, I, I'm, I'm sure we might. Um, but yeah, she is really interesting. She shows up in Batman Dark Knight Returns. She's 13 years old. She's a Girl Scout who's saved by Batman on his first day of retirement, or returning from retirement from a gang of like mutants. Doesn't and have to do with circuses at all? It does not have to do with circuses. <laughs> She's a Girl Scout. Um, and she takes on the mantle of Robin. She uses a lot of really low-tech gadgets, which is interesting compared to the other Robins. Um, but yeah, she goes on and has her own story. She takes on the uh, kind of secret identity of Catgirl in the second book of the series. And we see her in currently in DK3, the ongoing Dark Knight series by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello. That's running right now. Which I am finding surprisingly delicious. Th- that makes one of us at this podcast. Yep. Yeah, I'm I sorry, I don't, mean, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. But no, it's man, for us old dudes, I think. Frank Miller old, could... Us dudes and ladies. Could, the retirement party's waiting, Frank. You just got to go through the door, man. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> Guys, the cake's melting. The cake is melting, my dude. Do you see the cover? This has been all over the internet. I've seen it, yeah. No, I don't... It's, yeah. If, if, for the listeners, Frank Miller is doing a variant cover for the next issue of DK3. Oh, I encourage you to search it on the internet. It is the it is it is a true My review for that cover, yeah. one word. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um but yeah, Excellent. and she is she wraps up our our kind of review of the Robins. There's so many Robins. You've learned that Damian Wayne is the best. <laughs> you mean Dick Grayson is number 2, oh. Tim Drake is a close number 3, followed by the rest. All right, so let's not confuse the listener. Let's put these in order of appearance. So first is Dick Grayson. Correct. Yeah. And then and then comes Tim Drake. Huh? You're right. <laughs> and then is Stephanie Brown. Quickly. Dam- Damian Wayne. And then finally Carrie Kelly to finish us off. Well, and Carrie Kelly just appears out of order. An Elseworlds Robin. Yeah, she's not right? so much in canon. Exactly. With, like, the, with the Damians and with the Dicks. <laughs> Exactly. Well, my, my dude Bruce loves his black haired. You have to be a young orphan. <laughs> From a circus. Or share, because uh, Tim Drake's parents die too. No, that's not true. Do they? They do. Yeah, they yeah, do yeah. die. That's yeah, yeah. right. Is Carrie Kelly an orphan? She's definitely an. No, her parents, this is great. Her parents are activists who turn out into like burnout hippies. Oh. You never see them. Right. But they're always like, do we have a daughter? And it's totally Frank Miller being a dick and oh, like making man. a social commentary. Wow. It's, it's pretty such, funny. It's uh, yeah, that's yeah. Yikes. Nice. So that that's a huge taser Ooh. we just yeah, done that was, did. That was that was wild. That was a wild ride. It made me want to read just a crap ton more of Batman comics. And yeah. by that I mean Robin comics. Yeah. Detective Comics right now has a ton of them in it. It's on fire. It's it's a real wrap-up of the whole Bat family. I think the only one that's really missing is Dick. Yeah. Out of that. Out of yeah. kind of the modern, the Bat run. It's just because he's off being Nightwing. Also, I have to say that like even with Jason Todd having the rough start, some of the stuff they've done with him as Red Hood has been very compelling. I will yeah. say this. The first three issues of the Rebirth, Red Hood and the Outlaws, is stellar. Very good. Surprising. It just totally blew my doors off. Yeah. Same with Detective Comics. Almost all the Bat Family stuff has been really, really good. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. Thank there you, you dudes go. for hanging out. 
Thank you for hosting. Yeah. Very good job. Thanks for tolerating me. No I appreciate problem. you. God. I'll tolerate you as much as I can. I guess that's going to do it. Our producer and editor is me. I am Rachel Polk, and I'm hosting for you today in place of Nick Weibar. God knows where he is. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show on iTunes. Do you love Tim Drake as much as I do and want to let Curtis know about it? Well, luckily, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and on our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books, podcasts, and stuff since 1996. My name is Rachel Polk. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Damian Wayne, the best Robin ever. And we wish you happy circus. Until next week. Oh, that makes sense. You're in here. Moment my coffee breaks up. I say I left a prayer for you forever and ever. I don't know the rest of the words. That's it.